This is Accent, the Air University Teaching and Learning Center podcast. At Accent, we make connections between teachers, learners, and ideas in military education. The opinions, conclusions, and recommendations expressed or implied in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the views of Air University, the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or any other U.S. government agency. Follow us online at www.airuniversity.af.edu TLC or on Twitter at Air Teaching for more. Hello, I am Dr. Megan Hennessy. I'm the director of the Air University Teaching and Learning Center. And today, so happy to be here with the Axon podcast with Major Evgenia Paduzzi. Major Paduzzi is a career intel officer with background in threat analysis, ISR operations, and support to flying operations. She has also spent time on multiple deployments as a cultural advisor and Russian language interpreter and is an active member of the Language-Enabled Airmen's Program. Our Air University AFCLC partners will be happy to hear that. Most recently, Major Paduzzi completed a master's degree program in strategic communications from George Mason University, focusing on understanding mechanics of organizational inclusion and how this could empower the Air Force to accelerate change. Currently, she serves in the Strategic Communications Division under the Secretary of the Air Force for Public Affairs. Welcome, Eve. Yes, hi. So happy to be here. Thank you so much. So let's start off with talking about what's most important. You are a graduate of my alma mater, (laughs) George Mason (laughs) University. Yes, yes. What an awesome program. Tell us what drove you to complete that program in particular. Yes, it was an opportunity offered by the Air Force. It was a fellowship, um, and it was focused on strategic communications and invited uh, officers outside of the public affairs career field to join and gain some knowledge about communication so we can better integrate um, whatever those skills were in our own career fields. So it was a a program that the Air Force offered that I applied and competed for and had the incredible opportunity to participate in. Well, congratulations. Tell us how that program connects to your work as an intel officer, if you can. Uh, sure. I think that the overall intent is to help intel officers consider how we shape our messaging. And you know, one of the challenges with Intel is oftentimes we work in specific stovepipes, specifically because of the classification um, levels that are available. And so we don't immediately connect with public affairs or communicate very openly about the campaigns or efforts that we are trying to undertake. Meanwhile, our adversaries are certainly using strategic communications as a type of weapon. And so I think the intent is to help our side better understand how communication works and how we can better apply communication skills to further our warfighting capacity and capability. And I believe that you completed your thesis on difficult conversations in the Air Force. And is it specific to the squadron command level? Yes, it is. Uh, So for my research, I took a little bit of a different approach Although I really appreciate the operational link between public affairs and intel, my other passion is very much in the people realm, the people domain. And so what I wanted to understand was 
how do we foster inclusion in our organizations uh, in the Air Force and across the DOD? And so for my study, what I did was go back to the field to talk to our most, you know, most relevant uh, level of command when it comes to difficult conversations, in my opinion, and that was squadron commanders. And I wanted to find out what types of difficult conversations are they having in these last five years as we're witnessing all of these social events, these DOD events, and what types of challenges are they facing and how are they dealing with them? What are the lessons learned? So that's what I ended up doing my study on. I know our listeners can appreciate how difficult it is to craft working definitions and inclusion criteria with research. And I suspect that was maybe your first hurdle you had to jump. So what is your working definition of a difficult conversation in the context of the military? Yeah, I I appreciate you clarifying that. Uh, And I also uh, had to go back to the training manuals, first and foremost, for the Air Force, things like the Air Force Squadron Commander um, um, course and training manuals. And in those documents, it uh, labeled some difficult conversations as topics of death, serious injury, sexual assault, mental health, violence, discrimination, and any other stressful life events, um, illness, finance, and a personal conflict, etc., I also looked at uh, Gregory's framework of Crucial Conversations. There's a book, Crucial Conversations, and uh, it defines Crucial Conversations as ones where opinions vary, stakes are high, emotions run strong, and outcomes matter greatly to one or more parties. But most importantly, because this was a qualitative study, I wanted to know what squadron commanders perceived as difficult conversations. So I gave them this overview as these are starting points, but most importantly, what do you perceive as difficult? And let's talk about it. And you had an amazing reception. So you had 25 participants from across 04, 05, and 06 ranks. And I know you also had to actually turn volunteer participants away, which is practically unheard of. Uh, What do you think makes your research so interesting to Air Force officers? Why did they want to help you? Yeah, that was a fascinating turn of events. It took me one day to get all of my volunteers. And like you said, some I just could not, did not have capacity to interview. But every single one of them said, "Uh, thank you for inviting me because uh, we're not talking about it. And I really wish we were. Uh, I think what it comes down to is difficult conversations are just a prevalent hot topic at every level of leadership. And uh, at this time, there's not a lot of resources or official mandatory or um, uh, structured training that empowers difficult conversations. So a lot of leaders, and this is just not squadron commanders at, at all levels, are trying to figure out how to do it and are having mixed results and are eager to share their experience to help the next generations of leaders. I suspect too, just from your own personal experience as an officer that maybe, I'm putting words in your mouth here, fully admit, but maybe uh, you would have appreciated someone giving you that opportunity (laughs) in your history. Uh, Sure, absolutely. I mean, everyone encounters moments of difficult conversations. And I think what's interesting is everyone starts from whatever their starting point is. I think Everyone's got some sort of strengths and weaknesses. Some people are more intuitive in the realm of difficult conversations, emotional intelligence. Others have intuitions in other areas. The challenges for officers is if you do not have this training and you do not come pre-built with intuition, 
you're you're in the school of hard knocks and um, whether this is an experience I personally had or other officers I've witnessed who were and and really all leaders enlisted and officers it it's fascinating to watch and learn of what works and what doesn't but I think we can do better as an air force preparing our leaders um, because there is quite a lot of science to how uh, difficult conversations can work better and we can empower those leaders in, in our ranks by giving it to them instead of just letting people figure it out on their own. Yes, thank you. I am all about what you just said about the science and you clearly contributed to that discourse with this study. I think especially because of your robust sample size um, and the characteristics of your participants. So they actually represented more racial and ethnic diversity than the total force or the field grade officer ranks. Can you tell us more about that? How did that happen? Yeah, I. it certainly was an aspiration of mine to represent as many groups and as many voices as possible. I will say that my study did not necessarily sort for uh, specific demographics, but once I had the initial sample of participants and uh, I had more people that I could interview, I uh, allowed voices to come through um, in that sample that I could examine specifically so that we could uh, represent this Air Force that I think we're aiming for versus um, the one that we're you know, currently, currently in the state that we're in. So it, you mentioned earlier that you mostly used interviews. Was that your um, sole source of data collection or did you use anything else? Yes, that was the primary source. And it was 26 hours of qualitative data, very rich context of squadron commanders talking about their experience and where they struggled the most and what they learned in their time in command. That's awesome. Let's dive in to some of the findings and your analysis. So some of the critical incidents identified by your participants as topics of difficult conversations. So um, their airmen coming to them to talk about these things. You had a few and some that really stood out to me, especially because you noted them as social versus purely military topics were the death of George Floyd in 2020 the Roe v. Wade reversal decision in 2022, and then, of course, tragically, the Uvalde, Texas school shooting in 2022. Can you share more about what popped up around these critical incidents and why you think they became um, trending topics of interest? Yes. So first to the, you know, the top three findings of most difficult conversations that commanders had in these last five years were suicide and suicidal ideations, sexual assault, and then overall topics of racial injustice and specifically murder of George Floyd. And I'll start there um, mainly because that was a big challenge for a lot of squadron commanders and not because they didn't want to address the issues or didn't believe in supporting and the importance of talking about racial injustice, but it was because when this event happened and General Goldfein made that uh, you know amazing stand talking about what he believed was right in in the situation of murder of George Floyd, 
there was a call to all squadron commanders to direct these difficult conversations or lead these difficult conversations with their airmen. And even though there were talking points and general information sent to commanders to have these conversations, uh, the how was the part that was very challenging. Now, different people have ex different experiences and perspectives on the topic, and some had support from friends, family members, and or personal experiences that they could speak to when discussing discrimination, racial justice. But 56% of my sample were um, self-identified white um, members of the Air Force and squadron commanders. And uh, oftentimes for that demographic, it the how was very difficult. They felt that their voice was perhaps overrepresented um, or uh, was not the right voice to uh, bring these topics up. And so they struggled in finding the, the words. Um, however, in all the participants in my study uh, who were commanders during that time did address the issue. And what they learned was that the how became easier as they practiced it, not only because they had opportunities to speak about it, but also because the airmen gave them incredible perspective and shared very personal, very vulnerable stories that changed uh, perspectives and empowered commanders to continue speaking about it. Um, so that's uh, that. That's the uh, murder of George Floyd piece. Uh, the other social topics uh, were issues that commanders felt they had to address uh, because of how they perceived their, their members to uh, take in this information. But the overall message there was, we want to talk about it. We're not sure if we're saying the right thing. And it's very difficult to speak on emotional topics when there is no guidance or leadership oversight or empowerment. And, and there was always a concern of, am I going to get into trouble if I speak out of turn, if I get emotional, if I say the wrong thing? And so I think that the collective message there is one, messages or topics of social discourse are not going away. So commanders must practice and prepare themselves for having these, facilitating these discussions. And that two, uh, these leaders need to be supported and empowered at all levels. So senior leadership must know and, 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 and guide and, and back up members. Uh, when they speak about this, but also there has to be a sense of collective grace, whether it's grace from the member who is speaking or the audience is receiving, because when we try these for the first time, mistakes happen and it's not uh, malicious. It's just part of the process, but that grace can help smooth the rough parts and help the difficult conversations happen. I have to say, I don't think I've used or heard that phrase in a military context before, but it makes perfect sense to me, uh, collective grace with something so challenging. Thank you for describing it that way. It's very powerful. Yeah, I, I would add that what's fascinating from the difficult conversations that these commanders faced, all of them were in the human domain. All of them required soft skills. And I think that's an important message uh, to our senior leaders as we prepare to compete in this in this uh, in this new age with uh, peer competition. Uh, these commanders are not talking about mission challenges. They're not talking about resourcing. And although those absolutely exist, what takes the most emotional bandwidth and, and energy is the human domain. And so, 
is critical that as we prepare commanders for the next generation fight, that we don't just address the systems, the networks, we also address these soft skills and build competence in emotional intelligence so that these uh, these human domain issues can be addressed. Yes, and one of your findings I think goes really hand in hand with what you just said and the recommendation that you really need to practice. Um, 64% of your participants acknowledged that fear was constantly on their minds when it came to uh, difficult conversations and that they were afraid of saying something wrong or making one mistake and being out. Um, Can you share more about that? Yes. Yes. So I thank you for bringing that up. The top challenge that came out of my study was that fear was the the hardest thing for most members. And uh, it's, it's hard to hear that. However, I also think that in some ways this is good news because fear is something that we can directly address through training, education, and support. Uh, One thing I think is important is that when we talk about fear, we have to take the element of shame out of it. Uh, There was an interesting correlation between fear and shame and that, first of all, fear was expressed across all demographics. And it usually dealt with uh, talking about a group that was not your own group. So men talking about women, uh, you know, uh, and whatever it is, the racial issues, the the sexuality issues, it was always the fear of saying the wrong thing across the, those domains. And oftentimes shame came sounded like this. Well, you know, if you can't do the right thing, you shouldn't be in this job. If you cannot address this, then, you know, you need to go do some more work. And the reality is like that will never help individuals have less fear. Um, So I think one of the first steps dealing with fear in in this education realm is we have to stop judging people for having fear. It's a natural reaction when trying new things. And what we do need to do is uh, provide perspective. Because oftentimes giving people perspective and letting them know that they are supported if they try new things, that helps ease the fear or at least temper it enough for the courage part to come in for the member to have the difficult conversation. Um, Some of the other challenges were disbelief and uh, leading as an other. Disbelief, meaning that members didn't believe other members were going through an experience and then leading as another, it was leading as a minority and or leading uh, as a name a demographic uh, in a group of uh, uh, members who had different demographic statistics. And both of those also fall into the category of this could be a perspective training opportunity. And so if we could just provide insights to others about why one might not, or what, why someone might go through an experience, it might help the disbelief portion, and giving perspective to leaders about the fact that everyone struggles to speak about difficult conversations might help empower those conversations more frequently in the future. Absolutely, and I would be remiss if I didn't make a plug to the Air University Leader Development course because 36% of your participants were graduates of that course, And some of the quotes that you shared from them was that it was the best course I've taken in my career. 
And another was grateful for quote, finally teaching the human domain. And then this last one is really interesting. Um, a participant, also graduate of the leader development course, said, quote, discussion of empathy, something I have not really gotten previously in training. So we've got our findings. You, you've shared some of your key trends and things that were on these participants' minds, challenges that they were facing in their leadership. What do we do about it from a military education perspective? Obviously, we've had we have the leader development course, but what else? You know, for our listeners who are joining us from military education organizations, what can they do at perhaps even the individual level, um, armed with your research? Um, sure. So, I think the bottom line is our Air Force, and uh, I would venture to say the DoD really needs to make an investment into emotional intelligence training and difficult conversations training at all levels of a session. And the good news about this is that there is already existing curriculum like the leader development course that you've mentioned that focuses specifically in that human, in that emotional domain. And for example, on the leader development course, I would contend that um, this should be a mandatory course, not a unit-funded course, that all commanders uh, get an opportunity to go to so that they are empowered to have these difficult conversations. There are other efforts across the Air Force that I've connected with uh, during my research and you know, advocating for this topic. Um, I know that at the Air Force Academy, there is a master sergeant who leads the human weapons system course teaching cadets, you know, about the human domain. And there's lots of grassroots efforts as well that recognize emotional intelligence is critical. Um, by the way, not just for, um, you know, not just for uh, knowledge for knowledge's sake, but specifically for cultivating stronger teams, cultivating innovation, for uh, boosting our retention numbers. And let's not forget the, the critical realm of diversity and inclusion training. All of these soft skills directly feed into these, these, these skills or these areas. And I, I would argue boost our overall lethality as a force. And uh, when it comes to making this, this recommendation actionable, uh, I, would, I would argue that all the building blocks are in place. We have material, and by the way, industry uh, has lots of um, uh, prepared material on this topic as well. And what needs to be done now is it needs to be resources, resourced and scaled so that uh, emotional intelligence training and difficult conversations training uh, is a, a present at all levels of a session. So that's, that's the bottom line is when our chief of staff calls us to bring forward the best talent, regardless of their background and create environments where all can reach their potential um, so that we can fight the fight. I think the first step is resourcing this emotional intelligence training and making it a reality so that we can create a common core of understanding and language on the topic of emotional support. And that way, things like vulnerability, perspective taking, authenticity, grace, self-awareness, those are not some fuzzy 
optional things and our war fighting capabilities that people take and leaders take seriously and also apply to ensure that members feel included and effective in their organizations. Thanks, Eve. That's really helpful. And you've given us a great framework to consider this through and from. Um, I have to ask a tough question. <laughs> you know, you are now a subject matter expert. I'm sure you're aware, as our listeners are, of lots of debates and negative feelings around woke culture in the military and critiques about how we've lost the war part of war fighting and we shouldn't be focusing on things like emotional intelligence we should be focusing more on how to win wars what would you say to those people yeah i would i would say that these skills are uh, fundamental to uh, human interaction to cultivating connection and uh what that translates for the Air Force and the DOD is lethality. You know, uh, we often talk about how our airmen are our most capable Air Force warfighting asset. And our, our chief of staff calls us to accelerate change, which is absolutely necessary. But you cannot accelerate change and prepare for next generation fight uh, and, and recognize that our airmen are our most capable asset without investing into this, this human weapon system. So, you know, unfortunately the days of, or the days of avoiding these topics are, are gone. Like these topics will be topics for the next generation of airmen serving. And so our leaders cannot avoid them. I would also say that retention is a critical topic right now and there are populations of Americans who would love to serve, who are unsure of whether or not uh, a mil the military is the right fit for them. I think that cultivating skills that help members understand each other and work better together is, is only a positive for the war fighting capacity of the force. So um, I suppose fostering emotional intelligence and difficult conversation capacity is not wokeness. Uh, I would argue that that is just basic skills that one needs to be effective to form teams that are lethal. Thank you. That was so well said. And it reminds me of the RAND study that just came out, I think yesterday or today, about um, the relationship between neurodiversity and neurodiverse members' strengths and impacts on national security and I think um, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's a similar argument here for emotional intelligence and communication skills. You can't just know how to push a trigger, right? You've got to, or pull a trigger. There you go. <laughs> See, um, I'm probably going to get critiqued for not, not being military enough as well. <laughs> but you can't just know those things anymore. You have to be well-rounded. You have to, as you said, keep an eye on the human domain. Um, because wars are fought by humans. And so I really appreciate all of your research. What's next? Are you going to continue data collection? Well, I'll make a little plug for a program that I'm currently part of. It's called Level Up, and it is led uh, through the A26 enterprise by General Lauterbach. 
and this uh, this program is uh, made of uh, information warfare professionals across the, the Air Force with the focus on discussing diversity and inclusion and uh, fostering diversity inclusion or diversity inclusion accessibility and equity uh, initiatives across all realms of our organizations and and the force. And so I'm very excited to be part of this cohort. And uh, as part of this cohort, um, I am working on a project to continue the efforts of my research and develop a difficult conversations toolkit that could then be disseminated to members who would like to have these conversations are not sure where to start. I'm, I would like it to be bite-sized and something that's easily digestible and quickly uh, read through. And I would love to share this with as broad of an audience as finds it useful. And I think this is my effort to contribute to that curriculum or training materials on emotional intelligence and difficult conversations that can empower the force. I just wrote a note about how we need to invite you back for a faculty development session using your toolkit. <laughs> thank you. That's exciting. Yes. Um, thank you so much, Major Agenya Paduzzi, for joining us today. Is there anything else you would like to add? Uh, well, I thank you for the opportunity to speak uh, with you and the audience today. And I also would love to invite collaboration opportunities if there are others out there who are thinking the same thing and wondering how they can contribute. Please reach out and let's, let's work together. I know there are lots of people who are having similar ideas and the faster we band together and share resources, the more effective this will be in cultivating lethality in our Air Force. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Axon, the Air University Teaching and Learning Center podcast. Stay current on these and other ideas in military education by following us online at www.airuniversity.af.edu/tlc or on Twitter at Air Teaching.